This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Dave D. Boat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is um, it. You know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our family. Thank you for joining us. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Later in the program, Dave Debo speaks with Jomo Akono, vice president of the Juneteenth Festival, about racial freedom and how the 47th annual festival hopes to be a place of healing. But first, I'm joined by Kelly Diane Galloway, founder of Mona's House, Buffalo's first restoration home for women who have been victimized by human trafficking. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. It has been a month. It has been a difficult month. How, how are you doing? Well, that number one, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the space and opportunity to be here today. Um, I think that question um, can be answered a lot of different ways depending on the time of day. Some days you can be, some points in a day you can be extremely happy. Mm-hmm. In the other parts of the day, you might feel a little sad and somber. It might turn into a little bit of anger and feelings of betrayal. But I think overall, um, I feel I still feel resilient and, and hopeful. Um, but I'm allowing myself the space to be able to process all those emotions. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this yesterday with Drea mm-hmm. uh, and... You know, it was the sense that you feel like you need to be strong, but in in your heart, in your soul, you have to you have to say it's okay sometimes to not be okay, even Mm -hmm. if it's for a minute, an hour, a day, two days, whatever it is. But to allow yourself that time for your own mental reset. Yeah. So that you can go forward. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of us who've been boots on the ground, we haven't even had a moment. Right. We haven't had a moment. You know, yesterday was, you know, one month since the the, the massacre, the terrorist attack. And some of us, like I said, who've been boots on the ground every day, working, serving, speaking, organizing. Um, we really, we, we talked, a couple of us, we talked the other day, like, man, I haven't even had the chance to really sit down and process how I'm how I'm actually feeling. Right. Yeah. Because you're just on on the move, on the go, have to, there's so many needs that need to be addressed. That part. And everything is immediate because it needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. right now. That's right. And that means for people who are in action and of action, Uh there's no rest. Yeah, no rest right now. And then, to your point, there are some things that, have to immediately happen and then there's some things where we have to make some long-term plans and 
figure out like st- stability plans. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, tell me about Mona's house first <laughs> of all. It is a house for women who have been the victims of human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. Human trafficking certainly is. It's not necessarily one of the things that comes to mind when you think of Buffalo, but in honesty, it is. Absolutely it is. Um, So the name of my organization for um, those of you listening is called Project Mona's House. And we have like three ways that we combat modern day slavery, because that's what it is, modern day slavery. Um, We do it through um, prevention. And that means education, going into schools, doctor's offices, lawyers, offices, and a plethora of other different types of places. Um, And letting individuals know that, hey, this exists because the first form of prevention is awareness, right? Mm -hmm. The the eyes don't see what the brain doesn't know. Right. And so um, I remember when I got my first car, it was a Nissan Altima, right? And... It's like as soon as I drove off the parking lot, the car lot, all I started seeing was Nissan Altimas, right? But it's actually that's actually a phenomenon. Um, and I try to get as much information to people as possible so they can see something and hopefully say something. And so, um, and then we have residential services, right? So uh, right now we are the only restoration home in all of Western New York specifically for women who've been victimized by human trafficking. And then after that, we also do what we call like um, independent, um, our independent living program. And so those are women who've been victims of human trafficking or children who've been victims of human trafficking who don't necessarily live in our residential services, but they're able to take part of it. And they do that through our Free Them Center. So uh. not Freedom Center, but our Free Them Center. So they have access to uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, our center is for women. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's for girls, um, second through 12th grade. And not all those girls have been victims of human trafficking, but I found that if I really want to save women, my number one priority should, one of my top priorities, I should say, um, should be to empower girls. And so we have a great program full of empowered girls who are writing books, creating um, artwork, starting businesses. And um, yeah, and this work has I mean, it's an unfortunate thing that I have to do this job, but um, it has taken me all over the world. Now, you have been referred to as mm-hmm. a modern-day abolitionist. I am. Um, what does that mean to you? What What does that, when you hear those words, what, what comes to mind? Badass. Like, <laughs> can I say that on the radio? <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> like Harriet Tubman. Right. I mean, it is individuals who do not, who are, are not afraid of fighting for freedom. And sometimes in order to get the freedom that people deserve and people need, it takes a level of boldness and, and courage. And when we think about Harriet Tubman... We think about somebody who was barely five feet tall mm. going to do what people say cannot be done, shouldn't be done. And I think it's a selfless job because she could have literally just saved herself, right? Right. And, right. I mean, 
But she chose not to. She chose not to. And so I think that being an abolitionist means that you fight against any oppressive system so that people can experience not just the privilege of freedom, but their human right. Now, you walked Mm -hmm. 902 miles of the Underground Railroad. (laughs) Um, That's a long walk. It took us like 50 days, sis. (laughs) We started in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is like where I've been living for, uh, I went to college there. But right outside of Lynchburg, Virginia is Appomattox, where the Civil Uh, War ended. And so we traced the Underground Railroad um, all the way from like um, Appomattox to Richmond, Petersburg, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, um, Delaware, New, uh, New York City and then all the way across New York State and so it's about me and like 13 of my friends mm-hmm. um, who consistently walked I mean sometimes we stayed in hotels Airbnbs um, in an RV in the middle of the woods somewhere right. and um, it was a, a mind-blowing life-changing experience and so we call that the freedom walk and we ended um, on June 19th of last year um, and we celebrated Juneteenth right on the steps of City Hall and all the way to the African-American Heritage Corridor. So we were Juneteenth last year. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't help but put that in correlation to what some of the women who are trafficked have to go through in order to get free, to get safe, to get the help that they need. Um, how has that journey shaped then how you see the the women that you deal with and the children that you deal with sometimes um i think in order to really answer that question we have to examine what is the human trafficking victim mm-hmm. that is somebody that's bought and sold for labor sex medical experimentation even entertainment i'm 36 years old i'm only the third generation in my family to be born free in this country that means my father warren galloway who is 70 Two will be, will be 72. My mm-hmm. grandmother, who we laid to rest, she would have been in her 90s. Only us three were not born on a plantation. <laughs> so my ancestors are victims of human trafficking. I'm a descendant right. of people who are, victim, uh, who are um, victims of human trafficking. So this fight is personal for me. And so um, I see the the constant struggle that people who look like me have to face on a daily basis because of systems that that encourage imprisonment of human beings. And so um, when I fight for those women and I fight for those children, along with my teammates, because let's not get this twisted. I'm not doing this alone, okay? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, for some of us, it's a personal fight. And for others, you know, they can't really relate to it from that sense. But human trafficking right now is not just um, for individuals that look like me. People right now are being bought and sold who are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and all other descents and um, ethnicities and um, even socioeconomic levels, you know, mm-hmm. because really a trafficker preys on somebody that's vulnerable. It's an opportunistic crime. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with children, it doesn't matter if their parents are billionaires, right? right. You have They have that access to that smartphone. You don't know if they're going to meet somebody one day that they really probably shouldn't exactly because at the end of the day they're still a child and i mean your pre- your prefrontal cortex the part of your brain that helps you make even educated and and, and good decisions isn't even fully formed to 24 25 right? right and so well 
I think mine is still under development. <laughs> but at the end of the day, a child is going to be a child, and we can't put the burden of protecting children on children. Exactly. I mean, it, that whole part of the brain is what informs forward thinking. Yeah. As in, you know, if I do this, there are consequences. So yeah. they're sort of missing that that piece of of developing. So can't really have any forward thinking to say, all right, Mm -hmm. this is dangerous. Absolutely. This is dangerous. Um, So let's go back to May 14th. It was a special celebratory day uh, Mm. for you and for the house that morning. Um, Tell me about that. So like I said before, in order to save women, we believe in empowering girls. And so that was actually a day of celebration for 40 little black and brown girls from all over Erie County. Mm. All over. They got there. They, I sent them through charm school with Miss Michelle, her etiquette class. They got dresses. Everybody got fascinators. People even donated money so that our girls can ride on limo buses. <laughs> for, for some of them, it was their very first time. Oh. And so... Uh, Miss Crystal Rodriguez, she got us um, some sponsorship at Buffalo State College, and we got to hold our high tea. The first time the girls had ever been to a high tea. And, I mean, these girls were beautiful. Uh, uh, you just have to see some of the pictures. And so we went in there. They started their empowerment declaration, and it starts off like, I'm an empowered girl. I will absolutely change the world. I'm enough, and I'm proud of myself. Never will I hide my light on anybody's shelf, and, 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 and a, a, a lot more after that. And they ate. They were celebrated. They they. They believed that they were beautiful. They believed that they were powerful because they've gone through this entire program and were drilling it, drilling mm. it. And some of them who had body issues, some of them who were cutting themselves, some of them who didn't know, do I want to live to see tomorrow? Right. Like they finally got the help and the courage and the the, the love support. that they felt that they the support that they felt like they needed to live to the next day. And so we celebrated. We're taking pictures. We're taking videos, and we get back on the limo bus to go back to the Freedom Center. And we get to the Freedom Center because we take the girls' phones mm. from them. Um, they get their phones, and all of a sudden, people are like, hey, something happened at Tops. Something happened on my street. Right. Oh, my gosh, I need to call my dad. I need to know where my brother is. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Because I was in another, a separate conversation. And they're like, oh, my God, is that a body on the ground? And then I went over there, and by this time, our volunteers, everybody's on their phone, and we're looking. And so um, I drive some of the kids home, um, and the, one of the dads called me like, Miss Kelly, do not drive down Jefferson Way um, because it's been a shooting. And at that time, we only knew that four people had been murdered. Right. And so, um, and so he was like, and I'm trying to find my son. Oh. And so I drop her off at home. Um, I get over there to Jefferson. I still got my fascinator on, my dress. You look at some of the interviews, it's just like, why is this girl out here in the middle of Jefferson? <laughs> you know, and so um, I find his son, and, you know, thank God he wasn't in there, but he was over there on his bike when it happened. I'm like, your dad is looking for you. You need to go home mm-hmm. right now. And then he was like, but Miss Kelly, you see those bodies on the ground? Because the bodies hadn't been picked up yet. Right. And then next thing you know, some of the girls that live in that neighborhood— 
all I hear is Miss Kelly, Miss Kelly. Because I'm easy to spot out because I got this fascinator on top of my head. And I'm like, y'all need to go home. But it's like, Miss Kelly, are those bodies? And they just start crying. And so then for the girls who don't live in that neighborhood and don't live in that community, they saw the video because the video was circulating online, I guess, almost immediately. I didn't Close see that. to immediately, yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't see that, but our girls did. And you know what was the most um, heartbreaking part of that day is those girls are so finally fell in love with their skin, their round noses, their full lips, and taking pictures and felt like they looked beautiful that day, and nobody posted anything. Because it didn't feel right. Mm. Because that terrorist, for for a moment, stole their joy that May Fourteenth was supposed to be belong to them. We were supposed to be blowing up the blowing up the the timelines of all of our followers and supporters that day, but it just didn't feel right to post such a happy moment at such a terrible time. Right. And. Um, it took a couple of days before I started seeing pictures, before I even I started posting the pictures. Like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm not going to let him rob us of this day. These girls worked so hard to write these books, to make their clothing lines, to start their businesses, and to actually make it through um, the academy. And, and they deserve to be honored. But for that moment and that day, I believe he stole not just those lives, but he stole a lot of moments from a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next, where we have unapologetic, honest conversations. You can join us by leaving a comment or question through the Talk to Us feature on our app. We are here with Kelly Diane Galloway, founder of Mona's House, a place where women who have been victimized by human trafficking can find restoration and healing. How has... The Tops Massacre changed the way these girls see themselves. Well, at first it was conversations of, um, because we had to have a healing circle and some counseling sessions with with a lot of them. And um, the conversation was, like, I thought we were supposed to be proud of our skin, but our skin made us a target. And they're not wrong. No, they are not wrong. And... And I still want them to see themselves as as beautiful and strong and brilliant, not just because of their skin color, but just because that is who they are. But being a black and brown girl is a beautiful thing, right? And unfortunately, somebody thought that that made them, you know, worthy of being hunted because that's really what happened, right? right. And so... Um, for the for the girls and for the women that we serve, number one, I wanted to let them know that there's nothing wrong with you. But on the other hand, not not but I'm not I'm gonna take that word back. Um, on the other hand, I champion the cause of freedom. I champion my life is about freedom mm-hmm. in every way possible. And I posed this question when I was on Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. last week. What benefit or what good is freedom without safety? So for our women, you mean I can be burned and tied up and sold to six or 12 men in one day or women in one day. Um, I can escape some of the most unimaginable circumstances that the average person cannot even comprehend. 
And then for some of the girls, it's like, I feel like I can finally live now. I want to live. I, I, I realize and accept that I have so much more in front of me than what's behind me. And then and now I feel free. But what is freedom? What good is freedom without safety? Why can't a little brown girl go to the grocery store in her own community and look for some snacks or something like that without having to hide in a freezer because a white supremacist has opened up fire in the only grocery store in her community? Why can't a father travel to Buffalo, New York to buy a birthday cake to celebrate his son's birthday, which some of our girls were going to that birthday party, and he can't make it out the grocery store because he got shot in the head? What good is freedom without safety? And so I lift to you that there is no freedom without safety. And so because of that, we do need action from Washington. We need action from our state. We need action from our city to be able to guarantee that people can actually be free with the understanding that there is no freedom without safety. And so measures have to be put in place. Programming has to be put in place. Funding has to be put in place to make sure that there is actual freedom that our women and our girls feel in their communities. Some of the girls have decided to enact ways that they can help their community to give back Mm -hmm. a little bit of what they have learned Mm -hmm. from you. Um, The the empowering message Mm -hmm. that you have given them. Tell me about what they're doing. So some of our girls have um, written letters and made care packages. Um, They have put together packages for people in that community who now have lost a grocery store. Um, They're working with um, Every Bottom Covered, um, Feed Buffalo, and um, two other organizations in Buffalo to make sure that the people in that community know that they're present. Some of them, that is their community, and some of them, they live outside of that that zip code. Um, but they're working together, not just with our organization, but other organizations, which is teaching them the power of community, teaching them the art of organization and activation um, to make sure that, hey, we're sorry that this happened, but in some situations, we're all we got. And... Right. They're learning that at a, at a very young age. Um, they've also been uh, working on putting together a podcast. Um, they haven't allowed me to release the name of that podcast yet. But what I can say is that it is um, empowerment for young girls from young girls. And mm-hmm. so um, them strengthening their own generation and being the voices that they believe that they need. And because their voices are important and um and they realized that this was an attempt to be silenced, and they refused to be silent. When you talk about safety mm. and feeling safe and a feeling of belonging in a neighborhood, how does that empowerment that you're giving them translate into them becoming safe or helping the community to become a safe place for people of color, for people who live there, for anybody who happens to be going to the grocery store there. Uh, how, how does that translate from empowerment to action? 
Well, every single time they come into the center, um, and I'm specifically just talking about the girls at this point, not our women, mm. um, they can't come in without saying their declaration. And the declaration begins and ends with, uh, well, it begins with, I'm an empowered girl. I will absolutely change the world. And then it has a whole bunch in between it, and then it, it ends, and, and it says, I'm, a, I'm proud to be an empowered girl. Watch and see how I change the world. And so right now, they're already being conditioned to change the world. Um, one of our elected officials, she came in, uh, April Baskin, to teach them about legislation and policy. And so right now they're practicing on writing um, a piece of legislation to submit to our city council. That's and amazing. so, um, <laughs> and, and I'm proud of them for that. And it may not be perfect the first time, but it's, it's what they're doing together, you know? Right. And so um, I think that what, what we're doing translates into real life because we're giving them the tools, the ac- the access, and um, and the opportunities that they need to be able to realize that their voices are powerful and that they can be heard. And and um, anybody that knows anything about me, like I'm so against having tons and tons of meetings. I'm, I'm 100% results driven. And so the girls in my program, like being heard is not enough. We tell them that all the time. Yeah, we want you to be heard. But if somebody's listening to you and like, oh, my goodness, I'm giving you my thoughts and my prayers and my sympathies and there's no action behind it, it's worthless. So we teach them being heard is not enough. We need to see action. And so action looks like what are you funding? Right. Who has a seat at the table? Whose voices are being not just heard but valued enough that action can can um, come after that? There are some in within the community that view themselves perhaps as victims. Now, the community itself certainly was victimized, but how does one change the mindset between becoming a victim and then moving to someone who can take action, take decisive, definitive actions? So... At Project Bonus House, we have a saying. You come in as a victim or you enter as a victim, you're transformed into a survivor. But by the time you leave, you are an overcomer. And the reason why is because so many people settle for survivorship. Why? Mm-hmm. A survivor is literally somebody that's just trying not to die. You're just trying to make it to next to tomorrow. Let's, for somebody that's living paycheck to paycheck, that's no fun, you know? We want to empower people to become overcomers. Our women, we say, listen, survivorship is a part of your process. You come in as a victim, you are a survivor, you become a survivor, but then when the process is done, you're an overcomer. Because the overcomer, number one, doesn't just um, is not just alive, but they thrive. And then they can even fulfill the, the challenge of Michelle Obama. Like, we, we reach as we climb, mm-hmm. you know? And they can help individuals who are coming up behind them. Um, I do believe that um, our community on the east side of Buffalo, that we've been in survival mode for too long. Right. Too long. So you drive around the east side and you're like, this should be better. This should be. That's because that's a generation of people who have allowed us allowed our communities and deprived our communities enough to stay in survival mode. It is time for. It is time for us to be thriving. It is time for us to... Why, why do we only have one grocery store on the east side? Okay? 
Yeah. Let's start there. Why is that one grocery store closed and now we have a free shuttle bus that has to take us to North Buffalo to shop? Because we don't have other options, right? Right. And so that's a whole conversation by itself. But anyway, to answer your question, it goes from being a victim to being over to being a survivor to working your tail off to be an overcomer. And we need to give people the space, the 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 equity and the inclusion the inclusion in the way that we distribute resources so that we can build a community of overcomers. Years of oppression, abuse, fear that you see in the women who mm. come to Mona's house resembles really the decades of inequity, biased practices, racism that has taken the toll on the psyche of a not only a community, of a people. How does that inform how a community feels about itself, how a person would feel about themselves? Well, anything that you say over and over again, you start to believe. And anything that people say to you, sometimes you start to believe. So if somebody t is telling you that this, what you have right now is the best that you get, you start believing, like, you start being grateful, like, oh, this is the best I can get. Right. This is this is what I deserve. But is it really? You you going to work 40 to 60 hours in a nursing home somewhere, and you paying your taxes, and this is the best you deserve? This is it? And so I think we have to start looking at and examining what is our best and what systems have existed to tell us this is our this is our best. Our women, when... um. The, the number one thing that we have to do when we when they're starting to go through the process of restoration mm -hmm. is convincing them that their trafficker is not their friend or my trafficker is not my boyfriend or my girlfriend right because now to me this is what love looks like but is it really it's a conditioning of abuse it's a grooming yes it's a, to get you into a mindset mm -hmm. of this is what I deserve yeah. because of whatever reason, the color of my skin, my sex, my gender, yes. my yes. whatever. And we have to be bold enough to say, you know what, this is not what love looks like. Right. This is not what love looks like. And so the same way those women in Mona's house have to say, you know, they have to redefine what love is. It's the same way our community needs to take a hard look at itself and how things run and the way things look and say, is this really what love looks like? Buffalo. Buffalo. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. The city of good neighbors. Good neighbors take care of themselves, take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I think we got too many people taking care of themselves and not each other. And so it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. But I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Um, you were in D.C., as you said before, um, last week testifying. Why was it important for you to go to D.C.? Well, I was speaking on Capitol Hill. My friend Zanetta was testifying okay. <laughs> before Congress. And so um, I was there with the March for Our Lives, um, um, Brady, and, and uh, I forgot the name of the other organization. But I think it was important because Buffalo has a voice and uh, we need to call We needed to call on our lawmakers to make laws that actually would prevent things like this from happening in our communities. And so it's no 
So we need to have background checks. We need to have um, funding going to community-led organizations to help prevent gun violence like mine. Uh, we need um, stricter gun laws, whether you believe in banning AR-15s and assault rifles or not. Right, what's working? What, what exists right now is not working. Okay, clearly. <laughs> and so, um, calling on Congress, we met with so many uh, members of Congress. You know, the Senate and everything, uh, the Speaker of the House, and just ask them, listen, we in Buffalo, remember Buffalo. People like me were hunted down. We need you to pass equitable laws that, that inclusive laws that are not just for other people, but for us as well. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to feel safe to go in the grocery store again. There are times that the laws that are enacted to help communities of color, to help people of color end up victimizing them instead. Mm-hmm. You become the victim of the law that was enacted as a gracious thing to, to save you, to mm-hmm. help you. Um, how would you propose to a lawmaker to fix that problem? Well, number one, you have to be di- the people making the laws should also look like us. How about that? How about that? That's a good start. <laughs> that it's not a lot of people that don't look like us making decisions about our communities. And I think that there's so many things, and we don't even have the time to discuss it, that victimize black and brown people when it lifts up other races. And I think we have to look at what what does crime and what does gun violence look like in our communities, you know, <laughs> And again, that, that's a that's a, a long conversation. But I think that it starts with having people that look like us at the table writing these laws and not people from outside our community legislating what should happen in our communities. Right. As Buffalo, as the east side pivots mm-hmm. into overcome mode. As yes. you would put it, overcome mode. Um, what is necessary? What is necessary now? What is necessary in three months from now and in three years from now? Well, let's just admit it. That man picked that community on purpose because it's the most concentrated individ- uh, population of black and brown people. Um, it was a, a, a lower income community. And I think that we need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence, more program, more money into um, arts and more money into things that will make the people in that community no longer be in survivor mode, but be in overcomer mode. We need more equitable solutions for healthier access for food. We should never have only had one grocery store on the entire east side of Buffalo. It needs to be uh, uh, more initiatives to make sure that we have access to healthier resources. And I think we'll start seeing healing um, even in our bodies. And as far as like the children and, 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 and women and men go, we need we need free mental health resources. I mean, even you have some people that are the working poor. So, you know, I make a little bit too much to go to take advantage of this free mental health counseling and I'm really losing it. And so, um, yeah, I think I think putting funding into the hands of the individuals who labor in our communities every single day and knows where the money needs to go. There's a lot, and you know, there has been talk about, oh, 
uh, you know, the East Side gets a lot of money. A lot of money already goes to the East Side. But when you, say, drive down Jefferson Avenue, look around, yeah. and what do you see? And what I think we see? should listen to people like Larry Stitt from, you know, the Golden Cup Cafe, who is on the Jefferson Business Association. Nobody's listening to them. So y'all taking all this money, like, let them help rebuild Jefferson, right? To back what it was when my dad was younger, mm-hmm. you know? So we need uh, a renaissance, man. A renaissance. Renaissance. A renaissance. Yeah, and we need development that does not equal displacement of black and brown people. Because quite often the development (laughs) moves out. Moves us out. And then that starts another whole cycle of... Development should not mean displacement. Absolutely. Um, If you had the opportunity quickly... Mm Mm-hmm. To say something to the shooter, would you? And what would it be? I wish I could answer that, but right now I can't answer it. I can't answer that question. Not because I don't want to, it's just because I don't know. Hmm. I never even thought about it. I'll think about it tonight. I'll write you. <laughs> you text me. Yeah, text I'm going to text lady. you. I'm, but right now I don't know. That's a difficult... I think, you know, there's, you have so much empathy, like you personally have Mm -hmm. so much empathy and yet it fails. Yeah. Well, I don't feel hatred towards him because that that would make me weak. Right. He's the coward, not me. I, I feel, I feel bad for people like him that they don't love themselves enough to feel secure being around other people that look different than them. Absolutely. That's insecurity. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. feel bad for him. And so I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> Kelly, thank you for this absolutely illuminating conversation. Um, I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate your work in the community. And the community certainly appreciates you as well and i look forward to having a longer conversation about all of these things thank you for having me up next dave debo speaks with jomo okono vice president of the juneteenth festival stay with us Watch, listen, engage, play, and learn with Buffalo Toronto Public Media Stations and our weekly newsletter, The List. Sign up to receive the email at wned.org and find out the best shows to watch, the great music to listen to, the important news you can't miss, and the many ways you can engage with our public media family. Sign up now at wned.org. Hey, we used to love this song. We still do, but we used to too. WBFO The Bridge, college radio for adults. Check us out on the WBFO The Bridge app and, of course, wbfo.org slash the bridge. It's one thing to love public media, but it's a special thing to support it. Consider this. 
If you've got a car you don't need anymore, or you've got one that's simply too expensive to repair, arrange to donate it to Buffalo Toronto Public Media. It's easy for you, pickup is free, and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Stream the best from Buffalo Toronto Public Media's YouTube channel. Adirondacks, Canadian Rockies by Rail, Chautauqua and American Narrative, and so much more to watch. The very best of WNED PBS, now available on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. We are talking about the largest gathering on Buffalo's east side. It takes place this weekend, and it takes on some extra significance this weekend, obviously, after the shootings of May 14th. I'm talking about Juneteenth. It begins with a parade at Genesee and Moselle, 1045 this Saturday. But clearly, it's more than a parade. Clearly, this year, it's more than just a celebration. Jomo Okono is here. He's vice president of the Juneteenth Festival. We'll talk about that and everything that it means and everything that's different this year, perhaps, on the east side. Jomo, thanks for uh, joining us. Glad you're here. Thank you for inviting and having us to share information on this 2022 uh, Juneteenth Festival. What does it mean to have it this year so close to the recent tragedy? Uh, It means um, a lot to us. It uh, continues the story, the struggle of our people. Um, It's a part of of our reality, you know, teaching history and what has been, you know, going on um, throughout the years. I think that what is really going to be interesting this year is that many people really want to find out more uh, about the African-American experience. And I think that this is a a very, um, it's saddened, but it also is a very resurrecting time for us as a community to get deeper into loving and understanding each other. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Do you anticipate this year? Um, in years past, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, making too big of an assumption here. In years past, I imagine it was a celebration primarily for Buffalo's East Side. Um, it's actually a celebration that uh, is talking about a nationwide event, but our city, the uh, city of Buffalo, has one of the largest June teams in America. And what we have been doing for maybe like the last 10 years is we have actually been internationalizing the stories of what happened with black people in America as we, uh, we you know, maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, no, we, we will absolutely get to that. Uh, the, the point I was trying to make, though, is uh, you might have white guys from Orchard Park or Clarence or Williamsville there when in past years would that have been the case? Well, this year we will probably have more white guys and more uh, uh, patrons and visitors from other places. But I really must say that there are always um, uh, black and white. There are always, you know, we'll be open. There are always, I'm not afraid to say black or white. There's, yeah, always, yeah. there's always more white people in the audience than most people realize. And what is taking place and what has been taking place is that more and more 
um, of our family in Western New York, our white family, have been coming out and they've been return attendees. So the number might, might, might not be visible or growing to people who are not there. But many people have been coming for the last few years and saying, you know what? I never knew it was this much fun and you had these many things going. So it's, it, the, the, I guess um, the secret is out. And I think that the curiosities and a lot of times many of the, the thoughts or fears or stereotypes, um, they're not holding valid once we all really come together as people. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I know we, we talked a little bit about it off air, is the idea that the shooting certainly um, is changing people's reality, changing their perceptions. But you would argue that it really started last year with George Floyd. I think that George Floyd and the massacre there was one of the most important things for the 21st century, um, as we're being candid, for white people to see. And this is what I mean. Since George Floyd, many black people have now found out that there are more white people who are seeking justice for black people than we ever imagined. Do you know why? Because when we watched George Floyd, the black community has been familiar with that reality. But the whites that saw the knee on the neck couldn't not say, oh, my God, this is wrong. And do you know why they probably said that with a clear conscience? Not because black Jomo or the black people from any inner city said it. Most white people watched that from the comforts of their own home, and they saw with their own eyes, they heard it with their own ears, and that reference point didn't need any interpretation. And so not only was it something that they hadn't seen before, but it came to them in their house where they couldn't ignore it. And it also said, wait a minute, that's not me, and I don't believe that that is still happening. And black people are saying, hey, we've been trying to tell you this has been happening to us all along, but people don't believe us. And this year, there's media interest from across the nation. As you were walking up to the now, building. Now, how would you know that? Well, <laughs> as you were walking up to the building here, you took a call from ABC. Yes. Um, a lot of national interest this year, obviously, because of the shooting. Yes. You know, and to be honest, um, in the year where the George Floyd massacre took place on that weekend, we actually had um, the pandemic was starting heavy. Um, COVID was taking place. And we also, during that time, Buffalo's Juneteenth was featured on Good Morning America when they start having the national conversation. So as all of these things have been happening over the years, the city of Buffalo, once again, as a city of light, has been shining different histories all around America. So I think the people here now are starting to realize how bright the light is. All right. Now a little bit of history. Juneteenth has traditionally been a celebration of when word reached the slaves about emancipation. Yes, those in Galveston, Texas. Why, if, if, if it initially was about Galveston, Texas, why is it, or how did it reach uh, the level that it is where it's celebrated in Buffalo and a lot of other places? Well, what happened is um, one of the, um, the, the, in 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed uh, 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 for January, it was supposed to be enacted, you know, January 1st. And what ended up happening is um, everyone did not comply with the rules. And it actually was actually stating that the slaveholding states who were Confederate, it was illegal for them to hold African-American captives. Now, oddly enough, some of the northern states that did not uh, attempt to succeed, they still were allowed to keep enslaved people. So that is why the 13th Amendment 
was uh, officially set up in um, in December of 1865. So there's a stage, and this is one of the major stages of trying to force freedom and make sure that people abide it by uh, the governmental rules. And it took from January to June to really implement it and to get the word out. Yeah, two and a half years later. Two and a half years later. Yeah, so you're talking about policy and implementation. Remember, 1863 all the way until 1865. Yeah. So... That's two more years worth of, you know, wage theft and and working uh, without proper conditions. You know, I'm a union person, so I think about things in those conditions. Sure. So, you know, sometimes even when laws are passed, people's humanity don't catch up with reality. And it has traditionally been a celebration of history and culture, arts, that kind of thing? Yes, and different cities um, have done and celebrated things in different ways. And here in Buffalo, we have... Um, done things, I guess, maybe a little different than others. Um, and because of that, many other people are now following in the traditions of the city of Buffalo. There are many Buffalonians who have moved to other cities. They grew up with Juneteenth, some second, third generation people. And without talking about all the cause of the media, the other cause that we get are people who are trying to establish Juneteenth in their mm. cities. If it's a celebration of history... Uh, during all of the discussions about uh, what happened on May 14, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of people who talk about the history of segregation, yes, the history of racism, the yes. history of violence. If this is a celebration of history, does it also embrace the things that you don't necessarily celebrate? Um, we began to uh, create uh, a, a pre-set uh, of festival activities called Sankofa Days. Sankofa is a Ghanaian word, Sanko and Fa. Actually, it's three words, and it means go back, fetch, and return. Many times you see the symbol of a bird with his body facing forward and his head looking backwards. It means it's not taboo or it's not wrong to return to the past, gather what's necessary, and move forward. So in order for us really to be free, independent, and fully engaged in life, we have to really know the history and how we got here. And we also need to make sure that we are uh, moving properly so that we don't regress. So for you, it's not a dichotomy. No, I think it's um, uh, we have another event that takes place after the festival weekend. It's called the Ma'afa, and the Ma'afa means the great tragedy. So what took place on the shores of Africa, what took place with colonization, what took place uh, with people being scattered to different parts of the earth, um, the residual effect is that we're still going through many things. And I know many people do communicate about the post-racial America but everyone is not on the same page. And those uh, black Americans who feel and know it, this is what we have been trying to communicate even after a black president, even after a black mayor, even after so many firsts, uh, uh, the first uh, black uh, uh, vice president, a uh, black woman at that. So there are still many realities um, that carry the, the stain and the strain uh, of, of racial hierarchy and uh, not um, accepting people as, as equal beings. Let me bring up one of the, what I'm betting you would call ugly realities, that this shooting would not have occurred if the east side was not as segregated, if that particular tops was not a location that the shooter could look up and find out was an area he could target a lot of black people in. Oh, you, uh, 
for those who know the history, for those who have read what was written, um, that area was targeted exactly for those reasons. And without any speculation, that is what was communicated uh, by the perpetrator. So um, those realities also exist based upon everyone not being seen and allowed to move equally and be as totally free and liberated as possible. So there are still residual effects from the same systems that enslaved Africans, brought them here, forced them to work, tried to subjugate them from Jim Crow 1, Jim Crow 2, segregation, all of these different phases in history that have really affected people until we all at least understand what happened. Um, But I want to tell you that most black and most white people really don't know what happened to other people outside of what we um, have been traditionally taught in school. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I'm saying that most of us really don't know, you know, the history of what happened with everyone. I think that's really going to be the only secure way for us to celebrate each other. And I think that that is what is being found out when more white people get a chance to attend Juneteenth and really find out what the whole mission, what the history is, and we get a chance to share um, our stories. In some ways, I've heard that um, the solution, perhaps, to segregation is is just the opposite, integration. More, more, as I said at the beginning of the program, more white guys from Clarence visiting Juneteenth. Well, but, but there's also this idea of systemic racism, resources that have never really been spent or showered upon the east side. Well, you know, this whole thing, if we look at poverty, you know, Buffalo is also, with all of the great things that we're doing, Buffalo is one of the largest impoverished cities in America. It's also one of the most segregated large cities in America. So that means that these realities have been systematized in the way that we do things here. So just because it's common, it does not mean that it's right. And what happens is integration or people want to have their own enclaves, um, both of those realities are important. I think that what is more important is that people have equal accessibility and people have the uh, access to uh, 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 leveling the playing fields. They have the ability to having uh, uh, equitable uh, access to uh, a future. And we find out from, you know, as we talk about how the city was divided by the 33 all the way to loans, all the way to why, you know, black people lived in the east side of Buffalo only. Um, All of these factors tie into systematized uh, things that need to be repaired. Jomo Okono is here. He's the vice chair of Juneteenth. He's an artist. He's an educator. He's an African drummer. There's a lot to you more than Juneteenth. And uh, anyone who uh, hangs around Jefferson probably knows his face, if not his name. We're talking a little bit about Juneteenth that kicks off this weekend. Again, the parade at, at 1045 Saturday at Genesee and Moselle. But the rest of the gathering kind of winds through the entire neighborhood. Well, it's interesting. You know, um, this is the first year uh, in the last two years that we are going fully live. Uh, Juneteenth was one of the first festivals to not cancel, but we went virtual. And then we did partial uh, festival, partial virtual and partial in person um, last year. This will be the first year that we're coming um, together in person. Um, The community, uh, the city, um, I can let you know the state, and there are many national people (laughs) who are coming to the city of Buffalo just for the Juneteenth um, parade. And um, the lineup, I can't tell everybody, you know, but the lineup of people who are going to be here um, are all over. Talk about security a little bit. Well, um, the security is going to remain on the 
precepts and on the protocols that have been observed um, even most recently um, based upon standards that we've always adapted to every year. Um, And most people don't realize that um, there has always been a heavy, multi-layered, multi-fabric, multi-agency level of security at Juneteenth even before um, this year's massacre. Um, And, you know, since 9-11, there are many things that have changed that most festivals have been doing. Our security meetings, teams, and agencies, just like the mayor of Buffalo said, um, is is very, very um, on top of things. And these agencies are all working together. And I think that um, that's probably why we're going to have the national and, you know, even the, the state and all of those type of representations here. In the little bit of time we have left, I want to move away from the fe- festival and talk more broadly about some of the issues that the East Side faces. How do we fix either segregation or poverty? Um, those realities, I think they have at least a two-pronged approach. I think that those who have, those who have gained, need to understand the history of why and how um, people uh uh, have 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 been created or established in the U.S. society. I believe that those people who um, don't have need to understand how and why and 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 where did the realities come from that have placed them in this reality. And then I think that all of those parties need to be working from the top down and from the bottom up to try to to try to help bridge the gap, especially with resources, not just monetary, but in repairing the damages that have been um, trickling down since slavery. But it sounds as if you're saying something more than just dialogue. You want to see government make it a priority, uh, community groups, uh, E, all of the above. What is it that you're actually proposing there? Every system that is involved in us in living, governing, eating, educating, All systems have to prepare to repair. And now I think that people are starting to realize that what has been hurting and damaging Africans, especially here in America, it didn't just happen with that that one young man. It didn't just happen last year. It didn't happen a couple years ago with George Floyd. There are some systematic fabric issues that have been going on even before uh, the country was fully established in 1776. And I think that we have to work on repairing those things in all truth and honesty so that all of us can have a greater access to a, a beautiful and, and fully um, uh, uh, a respectful society. What makes Buffalo important is that we have many different ethnic groups that are strong. That's not, that's not a fault. That's not a negativity. We all win when everyone is their best self. So we support the Irish, we support the Italians, we support our Jewish community. Why? Because everyone brings something to the table. But if you try to tell one person in the human family, you know, even the people where humanity began, that your life, your contributions, and anything else you want to do in life, it doesn't matter unless we stamp it, I don't think that's how the Creator wants us to live. All right. Jomo, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Buffalo's What's Next. It's a program that really is trying to confront the reasons why the May 14th shooting occurred in Buffalo. And we're also trying, obviously, to to amplify some voices that haven't been heard before, uh, providing a forum for candid conversations, not only about what happened, but obviously about ways to solve the problems that caused it. 
Tomorrow, our guests will include Harper Bishop from Push Buffalo. Of course, this program is rebroadcast tonight at 10. You can also listen to it again, subscribe on the podcast, or listen on demand at WBFO.org. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, just hit that Talk to Us button on our app, or you can email news at WBFO.org and DM us on Twitter at WBFO. We are WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.